Welcome to the Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers, both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past. There were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the Word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Our featured preacher this week in the Baptist pulpit is Pastor Mark Wagner. Pastor Mark Wagner is the pastor of Hannestown Road Baptist Church that is in Cabot, Pennsylvania. If you're not exactly sure where that is, I'm not either, but you can look it up, Cabot, C-A-B-O-T, Pennsylvania. Uh, He received a degree in pastoral theology in 2003, and then he was ordained to the ministry under the church, Bethaven Baptist Church in Sheridan, Michigan. That's pastored by Kevin Kroll. And he served and trained under Pastor Kroll for a little bit. And then God directed him to Frederick, Maryland. And there he worked as a youth pastor and assistant to the pastor. And then in 2006, the fall of 2006, uh, the Lord called them, he and his family, to Hannestown uh, Road Baptist Church. His wife uh, is a pastor's daughter. Uh, Her dad, Pastor Terry Cumberland of Independent Baptist Church of Kingwood, West Virginia. And uh, so she grew up in a pastor's home. God brought them together, Pastor Wagner and his wife, and they served there at Hannestown Road Baptist Church. Strong preacher, strong biblical preacher. He loves the Bible and pray that you enjoy the preaching today featured on the Baptist pulpit. couple years, it is so refreshing to come to a church and to come to a college and a, and a, a conference uh, where they don't drop their dress standards. It's just a joy. It's a blessing. Um, even after they, they get to so wealthy, they can have wall-to-wall carpet. They still don't drop their dress standards. What a joy. This is a type of college I found that uh, if, you're a, if you're a guy and you come to this college and uh, you, you, you want to kiss a girl... They'll kick you out. And if you're the kind of guy who doesn't want to kiss a girl, they'll kick you out too. (laughs) And I'll tell you, that's becoming a rarity in our country. We thank God for that. My wife and I have just been spoiled this week. I want to thank you teenagers for being so attentive. You really have. I mean, every time I've preached, you've given me just your undivided attention, and I'm grateful for that and a good response to every sermon, and uh, I'm thankful for you. I'm glad you've come this week, and I hope that the messages have touched your heart. And I want to thank the church for the accommodations and uh, and just for spoiling my wife and I. It's been a a treat to be here. Will you take your Bibles go to Daniel chapter 3? Daniel chapter 3. I'm excited about this message tonight. I believe God has the message for the hour, and He's laid this thought, this, this message on my heart, and I hope... That uh, as we come now to this main event, really, a time to close this out, to settle these decisions, I pray that this message will touch your heart. It's been my prayer. 
Ever since uh, it was lined up for me to come out here, I have asked God to help me to preach to you the message that is needed. And I pray that tonight, if you're still hanging on to some decision you haven't made for God, that tonight you'd make it. But praise the Lord, for I think there's been some that have been saved this week and many great important decisions made. And uh, maybe you're that next one that just needs to be saved. Maybe you're the one that needs to make that decision for God's surrender into the ministry. And we pray that... That God will touch your heart tonight. You be attentive to Him, and I know He'll speak to you. Daniel chapter 3 is where we're at. Let's look at verse number 8. Would you stand out of respect to the reading of God's Word? We're going to read a few verses here. You'll know the story, but let's read it anyway. It's important for us to uh, refresh our minds here. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse number 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. Can I just stop right here and put a little, put a little advertisement in as far as Christians? It's not our job to be the, the accuser of the brethren. You know, you got enough, you've got enough on your plate to take care of you to worry about accusing everybody else. Don't be the accuser. That's the devil's job. Let him take care of that. You keep yourself straight with God. And, and uh, it's not your job to straighten everybody and everything else out. You've got enough on your plate to take care of you. But these Chaldeans were accusers. They came, and the Bible says they accused the Jews. And verse 9, And they spake and said unto King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man... I shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they brought these men before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the image which I have set up, the golden image which I have set up. Now, if ye be ready, at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye should be cast this same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. He commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats and hosens and hats and other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace was exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Father, we come before you tonight. Once again, we plead, O Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts. 
It's not the messenger, but the message, message, message giver that needs to be lifted up tonight. And dear God, I pray that as we look again into the powerful Word of God, that you'd stir hearts. Lord, we plead with you that tonight some teenager's life course would be changed by what they hear. That somebody who's been struggling hasn't really fully given over full control to you. Tonight, would just give it over. Dear God, I pray that you touch every one of our hearts. Empty myself of me, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I pray that these listeners here would also be Holy Spirit-filled listeners. God, you would speak the Word of God and that the, the Word of God would find good soil to fall upon tonight. Help us, Lord. All is vain except the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. So rule and reign in this church tonight, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. By March 5th of 1836, Colonel William Barrett Travis realized that the situation he was in was dire. He knew he couldn't hold out any longer. Several thousand of Mexican General Antonio Lopez Santana had surrounded their little Spanish mission called the Alamo, and his 189 defenders were in a pretty tight spot. There wasn't any hope for them to get out. They had held out for a while, hoping for reinforcements to come and and free them from their situation. Travis, only 26 years old, was a lawyer, not a military general. But he had enough sense to understand that under the siege he was in, he wasn't going to last much longer. In fact, before dawn of the next morning, March 6th, the Mexican soldiers would storm the, the little mission. They would breach the walls. And everyone inside that mission would die the next morning. The story goes, history tells us, that Travis took a sword that was in his hand. And in the dirt of the Alamo, he drew a line across on the ground. And he looked at all those people left in the Alamo and he said to them, The situation is dire. We have no reinforcements coming. There's no hope of survival in our situation. When Santa Ana had come to the, to the mission, he raised the red flag that there would be no quarter given to the traitors. He intended to kill everybody in that mission. And Travis said to those men, anywhere from 17 to 76 years old, if you stay here, you'll die. If you leave, no one will think any worse. But if you'll stay here and you're willing to die for your country, then cross this line. It didn't take very long for most of them to make their decision. One young man said, I'm willing to die for my country. He was the first to cross the line. Then many others, in fact, everybody crossed the line except for two. One was a famous man we know as Jim Bowie. Not the maker of the Bowie knife, but he made the Bowie knife famous. He had taken ill there in that little mission and didn't have the strength to be able to go... Uh, Some say that he tried to crawl first to get across the line and then looked up and said, Men, you'll have to help me get across. And they came and carried him across the line. One other man, Louis Moses Rose, which most people believe is the one that carried the story out of the Alamo, a French soldier of fortune, decided not to cross the line. He snuck out of the Alamo that night and made it through the lines. These men had come to the decision... That there was something greater than them in this world. I want you to think about a 17-year-old young man saying, If I stay, 
All of my hopes, all of my dreams, all of my plans, all of my life is done here and now. This little mission will be my graveyard. This is where I'll die. Yet on March the 5th, those men, bold men, made that stand, made that decision, and by the next morning before the sun rose up, their situation was ended. If you'll listen tonight, I want to tell you teenagers why you have so many struggles with your parents. If you'll hear me tonight, I want to help you husbands to understand why you have so many conflicts with your wives. If you'll give me your ear tonight, I want to try to help you understand, Pastor, why your ministry languishes, why your messages are not filled with God's power. I want to, I want to help you understand, teacher, why your Sunday school class seems to struggle along and won't grow. Bus director, I'd like you to know why it is that you work and toil and labor, and yet it seems like everything you gather gets blown away. I'd like to try to help you understand what is that missing that missing element in your life. And if you think that I'm claiming quite a tall order for a message, let me remind you of the words of Psalms 1, which says that he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Not might prosper, not could prosper, but shall prosper. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of the defeatist attitude that so many of our churches have. That Oh, poor us. It's just we live in a bad world. Let me tell you this. The Bible says where sin abounds, there doth grace much more abound. Our God is not weak. His arm is not shortened. His ear is not heavy that he cannot hear. He has just as much power today as he's ever had, and he'd work on your behalf. In fact, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. Well, I just don't understand why things don't work out for me. <laughs> These men realized that on the other side of that line in the dirt was death, was loss, was pain. Yet something convinced them to cross the line and say, I'll take it. What amount of money could you pay a man to say, cross this line? What experience could you offer him? Reminds us of the words, the Bible says that if, a, if you should gain the whole world and lose your soul, what are you profited? What could you give to a man at that, at that time in his life and say, I'll offer this to you? What could you offer a Christian to say, on the other side of this line is pain, is sorrow, is loss, is grief, but cross the line anyway. I want to encourage you tonight to cross the line, but to cross the line, first you're going to need to count the cost. Will you turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 14 and verse number 28? In the Gospel of Luke, records Jesus Christ and His earthly ministry here in chapter 14. Now look with me in verse number 28. Let's back up to verse 25. Jesus is turning around to the many multitudes, the people that are around him. And he says here in verse 25, And there went great multitudes with him. Think about this now. Great multitudes were with Jesus. Some Bible scholars believe that at this moment, he had somewhere around 30,000 disciples that were following him. Can you understand that? 30,000 people. 
That wherever Jesus went, they were lining up, man. Whatever Jesus was doing, they wanted to be a part of it. If it was Jesus involved, you would find them there. This is 30-some thousand people who are saying, this is who we want to follow. And Jesus turns around to the crowds. And in a modern-day setting, we would try to give them a nice little soft message to encourage them to keep coming, right? Here's what Jesus said to them. After he turns around and looks at the multitudes, he says in verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father... And mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth ambassage, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith... Shall it be seasoned, it is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Here's what Jesus is saying. In fact, one of the other gospels says that he turned around to them and he rebuked them, saying, The only reason you're following me is because of the loaves. These people are what we call in the bus ministry, push kids. You know, if you've got a big enough promotion, they're there. Uh, We have these kind of people even in our churches. If we have a dinner, boy, they're going to be there. If you have something special going on, they're going to be there. As long as there's something good happening, sign me up. I want to be a part of it. And unfortunately, that's much of the attitude of the church today. As long as it benefits me. Jesus said, you're only here because of the miracle of the loaves. You thought it was neat when that little boy came and he gave up his lunch and I took those loaves and I began to break them and I filled basket after basket after basket and you ate till you were full. You liked that. That was enjoyable to you. It was something nice to you. As long as there's a miracle happening, as long as there's some food involved, sign me up. But Jesus said, here's something you need to learn about being a disciple of Jesus Christ is it won't always be loaves. It won't always be miracles. It won't always be easy. It's going to cost you something. And if you don't understand the cost, if you don't count the cost, then you cannot be my disciple. You're going to have some people that you count precious that are going to turn their backs on you if you identify with me. One man said, Lord, I'll follow you. Let me go first and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. But if you're going to come after me, follow me. Another man said, Lord, I want to go with you. I want to be your disciple. And Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. You want to come after me? Hey, listen, it's easy to get saved. Amen. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad you don't have to jump through hoops and do all kinds of rigmarole to be saved? I had a man that I was, uh, he was coming to my church and I, I, I gave him a visit. And while I was sitting in his house, he said, Pastor, wait, I've got to go get something. And he went back in the back of his house and he came out with a picture. And it was a picture of his aunt with the Pope. He said, Pastor, would you believe it cost her $10,000 for this experience? But she was promised if she paid that money, she got to shake the hands with the Pope, and he would absolve her of all her sins and give her a place in heaven. Now let me tell you this. If I really believed it would cost $10,000 to get to heaven, 
I'd beg, borrow, steal. I'd get the money, $10,000. I'd put it in your hand if I really believe that. And obviously there are people that are convinced that you work and you labor and you can get to heaven. But let me tell you something. Salvation is free. God made it that way. It wasn't that it would cost nothing. It's that somebody else already paid that awful, that dreadful cost. And if you don't think it was much, just picture Jesus as He hangs there on the cross. I remember Him the night before weeping in agony and anguish. uh, And He's praying, Father, if it's possible, if people can pay $10,000 and get to heaven, then let them pay $10,000. If people can be good enough and get to heaven, then let them be good enough and get to heaven. If people can just say a little ditty, say a little prayer, and be okay to go to heaven, then let them do that. If it's possible that there's any other other way than let it be done and the answer was no this is the way this is the truth this is the life and so Jesus in agony surrenders himself he crosses a line for you and for me and he knows that on the other side of that line is death on the other side of that line is agony but I believe the hardest the, the greatest heartache to Jesus Christ is not the whipping is not his beard being torn out is not the humiliation and shame of nakedness in front of the crowds but is that moment when the father would turn his back on the son and he would cry my God my God why hast thou forsaken me Oh, it wasn't that it didn't cost anything, but it costs you nothing more than faith. Trusting in Him. Just trusting in Him. But on the flip side of that coin, salvation is free. Discipleship will cost you something. Have you ever counted the cost? I remember my wife and I, when we would travel home to Michigan to my folks' place for, for Thanksgiving or Christmas, there was a way out in the field, somebody had started building a house. And every year we'd go and you'd see a little more and a little more and it started to raise up out of the ground. Great big mansion of a house that they were building. And then one day, uh, as we were going by, one year went by and, and the house looked exactly the same as it had the year before, only a little more weathered. And the next year, a little more weathered. And we watched year after year as this beautiful, large house went up and just the boards up and nothing to protect it. And then we watched year after year after it crumbled. And I couldn't help but think every time I drove by that house, this man began to build and didn't have sufficient to finish it. I don't know what the circumstances or the occasion was that they didn't finish that house, but the house was never finished. And you know, there are some people, there are some young people who raise their hand and say, God has called me into the ministry, I'll raise my hand. And you begin to build, but you never counted the cost to consider, what does it take? What does it take to be a man of God? What does it take to be a woman of God? What does it take to identify with Christ? And he's saying, unless you really count this cost and understand that that salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you something, you'll make it a little ways. You'll be that seed sown uh, among the rocky soil, and, and you'll sprout up. You get all excited about church. You love the ministry. But as soon as something harsh comes your way, you wither away. As soon as the sun is risen and there's some kind of an affliction, some kind of difficulty, some kind of health problem, or somebody doesn't say something loving enough to you, then you're just going to wither away. As soon as uh, uh, the weeds of life and the cares of this world come up and the deceitfulness of riches come up, it chokes you out. And before where you thought, I'm going to do something for God, that job offer becomes more enticing. And all of a sudden you're not at church as much as you ought to be. And all of a sudden you're not in youth group as much as you ought to be. And all of a sudden you're not doing what you know God wants you to do. And before long it, it chokes you out and you never produce anything for God. I didn't say you weren't saved. I said you didn't count the cost and so your life didn't count for much. You see, we would all say we want God's power. We read in those great books, deeper experiences of of famous Christians, we read about uh, men like uh, 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 um, Moody, and we read about men like Christmas Evans, and we say, man, why, look at the power of God on their life. I want that kind of power. The problem is, you want that kind of power, you don't want what it's going to cost to be there. 
Boy, was I impressed when these little 7th and 8th graders played their piano the other day. I got to watch some of the competition. And I watched these little girls get up and they started playing that piano. Man, was that amazing. That was great. That was wonderful. A little Armacost girl. I watched her get up there. She said, I ruined the whole song. She didn't ruin the whole song. She could have played that in 99% of the churches across the country and they'd have been blessed by that. It was wonderful. You know, I'd like to get up there like those little girls and tickle those ivory. And I'd like to be able to do that. I'd like to be able to get up there and just pound away on that thing and bring beautiful music out. I can't play chopsticks on that thing. It's wonderful what they can do. It's beautiful. I love that ministry of music within God's house. It does minister to God's people. It does prepare the heart for preaching. It's a wonderful ministry. I want to be able to do that, but I don't want to do it at the cost that they paid. (laughs) I don't want some mean piano teacher breathing down my neck because I didn't practice. I don't want hours after hours after hours of playing on that thing and plinking away on that thing and messing up on that thing and doing this and doing that and and mom telling me it's time to practice again. I don't want that. So I can't play piano. And you say, "I, I want God to bless my bus ministry. I want God to bless my Sunday school class. I want God to bless our youth group. I want God to do a mighty work in our country. And then you see the price tag and you say, well, now, I want to drive a Cadillac. I just don't want to pay that price for it. So I guess I'll drive a Chevy <laughs> from the used car lot. <laughs> you see, there, at some point, you're going to come up against the wall and you're going to count the cost and you're going to decide whether or not it's for you to serve God. But let me remind you, no great work for God has ever been done. It'll never go forward without a heap of travail. Uh, this ministry, do you think this thing just sprouted up with ease? Spare change and spare time? No. There was a heap of travail. There's been a lot of tears shed over this ministry for it to get to this point. And there's no work for God that will ever come up and ever do anything for God until somebody gets a burden and counts the cost and says, I'll cry those tears. I'll suffer that pain. I'll bear that loss. I'll stick my neck on the line. I'll take the criticism. I'll be that one. God, if you need somebody to count the cost, I'll consider the cost and I'll realize that the reward on the other side is much greater than the cost and the expense on this side. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. Funny, isn't it, that men want power in everything else? Power tools, powerful cars. But then when it comes to God's power, they wimp out. Look what I've got. Boy, look how big my engine is in my pickup truck. Look at what I have. Look how big my tools are. Look at what I have. And then you ought to be ashamed for what you've got laid up for God in in heaven. Well, I just don't think the power of God's all that important. Never counted the cost, have you? If I could in any way even begin to share with you the tears and the toil that my wife and I have gone through in the last nine years at Hannistown, the time that we have cried and the time that we felt broken and the time we felt we couldn't lift ourselves up again and go another Sunday. And and, and all of those seem hidden to many people's faces and we put the smiles on and we just serve God. Uh, But there's a heap of travail. Anytime you see anybody who seems to have a touch of God's power, you better recognize somewhere in the back of that man, he has spent some time with God. He has spent some, some, some heartache with God. He's had some toil with God. That that didn't come cheap. There was some expense. You see, you Sunday school teachers, you like to have God's power, but you'll spend five minutes before Sunday school class preparing your lesson. 
Preacher says, well, I want God to bless the message, but you haven't spent ten minutes in prayer. I don't care how, how alliterated your points are. You haven't spent time with God to even know what He wants you to preach. See, I'm simply trying, I'm not talking about uh, some, some double, double blessing. I'm not talking about uh, some weird, weird uh, uh, Pentecostal movement of getting some double portion of God's Spirit. I'm simply saying that if we're going to have God's power upon us, His presence is everywhere. He said, I am omnipresent, didn't He? That's who He is. He's God. But He said, my power will abide on those who will be my disciples. You shall go forth and be witnesses of me. And there was great fear and great power. Great works of God. You see, there's more to it than just saying the right words. You've got to not only count the cost, but secondly, let me tell you, you're going to need to come to the point where you're willing to pay the price. You can get up and say all the right words in a message, can't you? And it just sounds hollow and dead and empty. How many have been guilty of this one? Let me just use myself as an illustration. I, I went out knocking on doors. Uh, this is probably about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, in my little area, and I was knocking on doors, and I just got, you know the routine that you get into? Because you've knocked on however many doors. I mean, I, I've been, my, my pastor took me as a little boy, and, and we started knocking on doors, and there's not been very many Saturdays that I haven't been out knocking on doors. There's been a lot of, big portion of my life has been spent knocking on doors and witnessing and soul winning. And I got up to a door, knocked on a fellow's door, and it was about, about like I said, about two years ago, and he came to the door, and I started my spiel. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I really don't even remember what I said. It was my spiel. I just got into it. Hello, I'm from Hannistown Road Baptist Church just here today. When I finished my spiel, the man behind the door said, Well, that was cute. <laughs> Listen now. How long did it take you to memorize that? And I'll tell you, I walked away from there rebuked by God. Because you know what? He was just another face behind another door among the thousands that I had knocked on. I'd gotten caught in the routine of it. The daily grind of it. The I'm supposed to do this of it. The just going through the motions of it. Not the I'm weeping and praying for the soul that's behind that door. I'm weeping and praying for the family that's breaking up behind that door. I'm weeping and praying for the children that need a, a dad who loves God. And a mother who cares about the things of God. Not the going forth and weeping bearing precious seed. Just the here I am again doing what I'm supposed to do of it. Do you know what I'm talking about? And before I could finish to the next door, God broke my heart. Boy, I, I was broken. I said, God, forgive me for not caring about that man. I've lost that man's opportunity. I couldn't go back and correct it. There was just, I'd lost him. The moment, I, the moment I had that glazed look on my face and went through my spiel, I lost that man because he knew I didn't care about him. And people will not care how much you know till they know how much you care. See, if you just speak the truth, speak the truth, speak the truth, speak the truth, you're missing a vital element to being a man of God or a woman of God. He said, I want you to learn to speak the truth in love. Not just the right words. 
Not just the platitudes, not just the, the cute little quibs, but, the, but, but speaking God's truth with a love and a fire in your soul. Meaning before I ever go out sowing, I hit my knees and I say, Dear God, let, let me not waste this time for you, but let me impact somebody's life, change somebody's life today. Not just let me get out X amount of tracks today. Not just let me finish these streets that are on my map. Not just let me find another bus worker, but God, help me impact somebody for the cause of Christ today. I mean a life-changing work is See, we're willing to go, but are we willing to pay the price? God, I'm here for church. Yeah, you're here getting the bread. You see, somehow we think God should be impressed because we showed up for church. <laughs> Do you know this is for you? This is for you. This is God feeding you spiritually. Many will come to the table, God said. Thank you, preacher. Well, that's a good message. Oh, that blessed my heart. Wonderful. I'm glad you got fed. Now, what are you going to do with the energy you got from that food? Sit around at the table? But can't you hear the master of the vineyard weeping? As he said, I look at my table and it's full. But I look at my vineyard and it's empty. Many willing to eat, many willing to have fun, many willing to be a part of all the good stuff. But when it comes to the sacrifice stuff, when it comes to the tears, when it comes to the pain, uh, we say, well, we, we don't imagine that we as Christians should ever endure pain. Where do we ever get that idea? We've gotten to such a point in our, in our country, in our community, that, that if there's any pain at all, we want to medicate it away. Now, let me just say this. I'm not a doctor. I'm a preacher. I'm not here to tell you what medications to take or not to take. Listen to your doctor for that. But I believe we are way over-medicated in our country. You know why? Because we believe I should never feel any Anytime we have the slightest problems, the slightest ache, the slightest pain, we run to God and we say, I shouldn't have to pay this price. Can't you hear the Apostle Paul? As he comes to the Lord and he says, Lord, I believe I could be a better servant for you if I didn't have this thorn in the flesh. Ever had a thorn in your flesh? Remember those ones that just hang in there? Get too deep to dig. You'd have to cut half your, half your hand off to get it out, you know, so you just leave it in there. And it, it's nagging, it's annoying, it pricks you, it pokes you. Every time you touch something, it's a, it's a pain to you. And Paul says, Lord, I could be such a great servant of you if you would take this thorn out of my flesh. Now, the modernists, the liberal, will say, well, God tells you that he's going to answer in three ways, yes, no, or wait. Well, I'm so glad for John Rice's book, Prayer, Answering and, Re- answer, answers and Receiving. You know, just praying, and, and the answer is receiving, and, and God says, if you ask, I'll do it. Do you know that I believe that God would have taken that thorn from Paul's flesh if he wanted him to? He prayed. And you know what God said to Paul? He didn't say no. So many people say, well, God said, no, Paul, keep the thorn. No, he, he, he offered to Paul a better prayer. He said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul prayed again. Lord, I can do so much more for you if my health was better, if my finances were better, if my car wouldn't quit breaking down, if my family life was a better situation, if I could just have, if this thorn was out of my flesh, I could do so much more for you, God. And and the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul besought the Lord thrice. And the third time Paul got it, he said, Lord, I get it. I get it. I understand. 
I think that I could do more for you if my flesh didn't hurt. I think I could do more for you if I had more finances. I think I could do more for you. What you're trying to explain to me is that my grace is sufficient for the burden you're carrying and my strength is made perfect in your weakness. I can actually do more for God when I suffer than when I'm at ease. In fact, the Word of God says, Woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. Shame on you young people that are at ease in your youth group. Showing up for the fun things but not for the work. Shame on you church members who are here for all the good stuff, but then when, it, when it's time to really weep and pray for this ministry, when it's time to work and sacrifice for the ministry, count me out. I don't want any part of that. Shame on you. God says, woe unto you that are ease in Zion. That won't bear. You know, you know, Paul said, most gladly will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. He said, I'm glad that I get to suffer with Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you found me worthy to stick a thorn in my flesh that I don't like so that I can be more usable for you. More usable for you. Count the cost. Then realize after you've counted that cost, at some point you're going to have to pay the price. At some point, if you really want to serve God, young person, you're going to have to leave mom and dad and maybe go to a foreign country. Talk to some of these precious missionaries who are here in this conference. Ask them what it's like. To not to get to come home for Christmas. To not be able to be there for Thanksgiving. To not be able to uh, be, be there when somebody dies that's precious to you. And you can't be there for the funeral, for the closure. Talk to them and find out what it's like. And you'll realize that at some point they had to say, There's something more than me in this life. And God needs to get glory out of me. So I will sacrifice. I'll pay that price. I'll pay the price. I'll speak the truth in love. I'll get to that point where God will have my life. And let me remind you, God won't make you serve Him. But He sure can make you wish you had. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Preach to that great city. Jonah said, I'll go this way. Okay, Jonah. I won't make you serve me. But how about I make your circumstances so unpleasant that you realize that, that you're actually in a better place serving God than you are on your own? And so Jonah said, God took me down to the belly of hell. He said, this is awful. It stunk. It smelled. How many of you like fish? He huh? uh, wasn't liking fishing after a couple of days. He said, this is miserable. And, and look, how, look how indignant his heart is. How long it took. Hey, listen, I'm just going to tell you, I, I, I'm not real big on big boats and big water. I don't mind little 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 boats, little water, but big boats and big water. And when the waves started rocking in that ship, I'd have been the first one said, "Oh God, help me! I'll get right with you." But when the men came and said, "Hey, we're going to throw you overboard," I said, "Oh Lord, I'm ready to get right with you." When I went out and got into the water, and those mighty jaws went up around me, I'm just telling you, this is who I am. Save me, Lord. I'm ready to do whatever you want. Jonah sat there with his jaw clenched and his poochy lips sticking out saying, I'm not going to Nineveh. So God said, all right, I'll take you to the belly of hell. I'll take you down to the depths. I'll bring you to the point where you realize that there's nothing better in your life than to serve me. Finally, Jonah said, all right, Lord, I was wrong. Uncle. (laughs) You got me. I'll go preach to Nineveh. And he went and preached to Nineveh. God's not going to make you serve him. But I guarantee you, the other option is not so pleasant. Well, I loved what Pastor Dameron said as he talked about people saying, here here you are, uh, serving God. Well, serving God is so hard. Did you see the other side? 
Huh? Uh, did you see their Sunday morning? <laughs> Do you see their hangovers? And their broken homes? And the suicide? Have you seen the hardship of serving the devil? It's not better on that side. <laughs> Man, that was a great point. In other words, count the cost. You want to go? You want to throw your life away, young people? You want to go after immorality and drugs? You better count that cost too because it's going to cost you everything. Amen. Saved or unsaved, you start living for the devil, you start living for the world. God said, I don't care who you are. I don't care your background. I don't care your family heritage. I don't care what you've done. If you start living right, if you're a wicked man and you do right, I'll bless you for your righteousness. But if you're a righteous man and you start doing wickedly, I'll forget all the righteousness you had and I'll remember your wickedness and I'll judge you for that too. That means that you can be saved and still judged by God. Do you know there's a point in a, in a Christian's life where God will say enough? That's enough. That's enough. I'm taking you off of the earth. I will blot your name out. Now, how many believe that means he's going to blot your name out of the book of life? Huh? The Lamb's book of life? I believe once you're saved, you're always saved. But you better believe God's got a book recording everybody that's here saved on, uh, here alive on earth. And God said, there's coming a point where you, you go far enough, I'll blot your name out of the book of life. Meaning a book of living people on the face of this earth. Yes, God would take a Christian out of this earth if they don't live for him properly. I think that's why Jonah was in the belly of the whale. Want to disobey me? How long did it take God to get Jonah out of the belly once he got right with God? There you are. Till then, God said, you sit right there. And let's see how long you last. I'm God. I give you air to breathe. I give you water to drink. I give you food to, to eat. I'm God. I'm in charge of your life. Now, either you're going to serve me, or you're going to do what's right. Either you're going to, you're going to be, be faithful to me, or there is a point where I'll say, enough is enough. Have you really counted the cost? Have you considered paying the price for God? Have you ever crossed the line? Let me tell you something. The flesh dies hard. <laughs> how many of you ever thought you got victory over the flesh only to find out a week or a month later you didn't? You want to know how strong your flesh is? Fast for a day. See how often you absent-mindedly grab a piece of candy and put it in your mouth. Huh? Flesh dies hard. I reminded of an old, old, old farmer. And uh, he had a mule. Poor thing. was I mean, it was on his last leg. It had blind in one eye. And, and he just felt so bad for it. He said, honey, I, I'm, I'm done with that poor mule. I'm going to go put her out of her misery. And so he drove his tractor out in the field. And uh, the poor thing just stood there. And he took the backhoe and he dug a hole right next to that mule. It never even moved. Poor thing was about ready to go, he figured. And uh, after he dug the hole, he pulled the tractor away and he thought, you know, it's a shame to waste a bullet on it. It looks dead already. So he said, I'm just going to take the tractor and I'll push it in the hole. So he did. He took the bucket of the tractor, came around, and he pushed that mule down in the hole. And grabbed a scoop of dirt and just started burying it. And grabbed another scoop of dirt and started burying it. And before long, he said, instead of seeing dirt come out of the hole, he saw the back of that mule come back up out of the hole. And every time he'd put dirt on it, he'd shake the dirt off, and it would step on the dirt and climb a little higher out of the hole. He said, finally got high enough, he just hopped out of the hole. He said, well, I guess she's good enough to keep going. The flesh dies hard. You're going to think, I get victory over the flesh. I, I came forward during empowered youth, and I surrendered to God about this thing. And then you're going to find your flesh dies hard. We who are preachers, we aren't, we aren't super Christians. 
you think I want, you know that it's hard for me to go out and the first door I knock on every week, it's a hard door for me. I've been, I told you, I've been doing that probably since I was nine or ten years old. Almost every weekend of my life I've gone, it's nothing new to my flesh, but it fights me every time I come to that first door and I have to take a deep breath and knock on the door. I, Pastor Mark Wagner, I don't like to go soul winning. Is that shocking to you? Let me tell you, let me give you another one then. I, Pastor Mark Wagner, sometimes I don't like to read this book. I, meaning my flesh. You know what Paul had to say about it? The guy with the thorn in his flesh? I die daily. Every day of my life I wake up and I tell my flesh no. Nope. Nope. No, don't look at that. No, don't do that. No, don't say that. The Apostle Paul, has there ever been a greater Christian? And maybe Jesus. And here is Paul saying, I have to wake up every day of my life and tell my flesh no. When it doesn't want to witness to somebody, I have to say, no flesh, you're going to witness to them. When it doesn't want to be involved in a youth group, you're going to have to say, no, I'm going. I'm going to do it. Why? Because I'm going to pay the price and I'm going to cross the line. I'm going to die to my flesh. I'm, what do you say in Galatians 2.20? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So that the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave his, Himself for me. You see, the crucified life is a life of selflessness. I don't think I want to go to Bible college. Then don't. then don't cross the line. If you're just a hireling, if you're a soldier of fortune, if you're there for the, for the, free, for the freebies, if you're, if you're there while the candy's flying, hey, don't be deceived, teenagers. They don't always throw candy at you here. <laughs> Whew. They make you run the, can, run the lake. You know why? And, and you know what? Let me just say this. Let me put a little, let me put a little thing in here and say, uh, you're going to need that if you're going to serve God. You're going to need for it not always to be, whoopee! You're going to need it to be so heavy and so hard that you feel you can't take another step. And you feel you've got to look up to God just to take another breath. And you feel like, God, I can't make it. I don't know how I'll keep going. I don't know how I'll pay my bills. I don't know what I'm going to do. You're going to need that because some point in your life, you're going to either, you're going to count the cost and keep going. You're going to count the cost and pay the price. You're going to count the cost and cross the line. Or you're going to choose to go the other direction. Among our great preachers of the past in America is a man by the name of J. Harold Smith. J. Harold Smith was away preaching a meeting. His family was at home. He was preaching a revival meeting. I think he had finished maybe the first night or so of the meeting, so had quite a bit to go. And while he was there at the meeting, he got a call from his wife, an emergency call. He answered the phone, said, hello. She said, Jay Harold, you need to get in the car, and you need to come immediately. You need to come right away. She said, your son was playing with some other boys in the garage, and they spilled some airplane fuel on your boy and were goofing around, didn't realize how volatile it was. And your son has burned over 90% of his body. He's not going to make it. You need to get home. J. Harold packed his things, got in the vehicle, drove all the way back home. He got there. 
went immediately into the hospital. He got into the emergency wing of the trauma ward. And as he got up to the door, his wife stopped him at the door and said, Jay Harold, don't go in there. You will not recognize him, Jay Harold. Don't go in that, don't go in that door. The doctor said, Jay Harold, you're not prepared for it. Don't go through that door. He said, my boy's behind that door and I'm going in that door. He opened up the door and he walked into the room where the body of, the charred body of his little boy laid. Monitors. Going, keeping, keeping track of the, 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 the boy's life. And as he walked in, his son said, Daddy, is that you? J. Harold said, Yes. Honey, he said, Daddy's here. The little boy whispered to his dad, he said, Daddy, am I going to die? J. Harold said, Yes. Yes, Daddy's little boy is going to die. He said, Daddy, before I go, can I, can I sing you a song? His voice was just a whisper. And Jay Harold put his ear down next to his little boy's mouth. And he began to sing. To be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. All I ask. To be like Him. From earth to glory. I'll tell the story, all I ask. And he passed away into eternity. The morning before Jay Harold had left, got the phone call rather, he was having his devotions and God came down to him, he said, just as real as ever, and God said to him, Jay Harold, would you serve me if it got hard? Jay Harold said, yeah. Yeah, Lord, I believe I'd serve you if it got hard. At that crushing moment when J. Harold felt like his legs couldn't hold up under him and he was standing there next to his dead son, he said it was as though God came back down to him and said, J. Harold, are you willing to serve me if it gets hard? I'm told that J. Harold got up from the, from the bedside, from the deathbed of his little boy, and he went home and he, rolled, he wrote a message out entitled God's Three Deadlines. And that from that message... Over 100,000 people trusted Jesus Christ because of that message. I want to ask you, are you dead yet? Do you know you can hit a dead man and he won't hit you back? We were having a funeral and we laid a dead body out here, corpse, casket open. You could walk right up to him, you could curse that dead man. He'll, he'll not curse you back. If he does, run out the building. <laughs> You can offend a dead man. He won't offend you back. He'll not do anything. He's dead. He's crossed the line. He's given up on this life. It's no longer about him. It's about God. It's no longer about what people think about him. And we are too consumed in America about self. I am crucified with Christ. Funny thing about being crucified. Crucified man only looks in one direction. crucified man holds on to nothing. A crucified man makes no further plans for himself. He's not coming back. He's crucified. He's dead to self. He's all in for this world. It's done. 
It's not about him. It's not about his plans. It's not about his wishes. It's not about the dreams he'd like to fulfill. It's not about the wealth that he has. He's found something greater in life. He's realized there's a purpose greater than him. And he says, if I can bring glory to God, then let me be crucified with Christ and let the life that I live no longer be my life, but let it be the life that Christ lives through me. Let me be all about God. And I guarantee you, teenager, if you get to that point where you're crucified with God, you won't fight with your parents. You're dead to self. I guarantee you, husband and wife, you won't bicker and fight and, and throw things in the house and, and have a big big fuss over it because you're crucified to self. It takes pride to have contention. It takes pride to fight back. It takes you standing up for me and saying, nobody can say that about me. Why can't they? You still alive? Hmm? Still hanging on to something? Listen, God's not in the business of promoting your pride. He said, I hate pride. I hate pride. You think God hates homosexuality? He said, on top of the list is, I hate a proud look. I hate it. Go ahead, stick your pharisaical nose up. Think you're better than somebody else. Go ahead, shoot out the lip at somebody. Go ahead, hurt somebody in church. Say something crude. Stand up for yourself. Fire back. Get on Facebook and blast somebody else out. Go ahead, be an accuser. You do that and you're just standing up for yourself. You've never crossed the line and you'll never count for God. And God will deal with you. I guarantee you He will. But if tonight you'll cross the line, you better count the cost. If tonight you'll cross the line, you better be ready to pay a price. If tonight you'll cross the line, you need to realize there's something bigger than you. You need to realize God's glory has to be shown through your life. You better be ready to cry some tears, to bear some toil, to endure some pain, to most gladly glory in your infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on your Sunday school class, on your youth group, on your ministry, on your preaching, that the power of Christ may be there. He said, greater things shall you do. Are you doing greater things than Jesus did on this earth? Huh? Then why tonight won't you cross the line? Thanks for listening to the Baptist Pulpit. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the Word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the Word and hearing the Word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to the Baptist Pulpit.